This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I'm joined as always with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just a minute, but feel free to go to practicalshepherding.com and reach out to us, access all of our resources that are there. We'd love for you to come stay at the Shepherd's House with us. Two days, two nights, pastors, bring your wife with you. Can't bring your kids, but you can bring your wife with you. Two days, two nights, this beautiful cabin on 180 acres here in Kentucky that we put you up for free for those two days and two nights. So you can go apply online if you go to that page. Uh, there's books. There's other podcast episodes. Jim, how many are we up to now? We had like 225 or something Somewhere like that. Somewhere there. So plenty of podcast episodes. And by the way, I want to highlight this because we've never talked about it. And it's important for those of you who reach out to us and go, hey, have you done a podcast on this topic or that topic? There's this beautiful search bar at the top. Go to the podcast page and at the top. There's a search bar. Feel free to go there, and that is the best way to look and see if we have talked about anything. It, Jim, that's pretty much what you do anyways, isn't it, when people ask you, or unless you remember vague, you know, vividly of a certain episode. I actually you... scroll through them, or I, I, I created a little uh, a thing on my word processor. Oh, good. Okay. Of, well, I wrote down the names of all of the episodes. Look at, so I, I underestimate I can, Jim once again for, for the way uh, he's carrying the load this here. This is so. my job. Part of my job is to help people <laughs> to find old, old this podcast is true. episodes. That's what Jim does. He does it well. So, But before you ask Jim, go to the search bar first or scroll through. Just We got good titles up there. It's organized really well. Okay, So uh, feel free to access more of those podcast episodes there. The topic today, though, Jim, is pastors comparing themselves to each other. Mm. I would say that in the work we do with practical shepherding, the one, I wouldn't say the number one, one of the top forms of, of, of discouragement or causes of discouragement in a pastor is he doesn't look at his own ministry. He looks at the pastor down the road mm-hmm. or the pastor on Twitter who's doing things and seeing fruit that they're not seeing. And they right. start to feel like they're inadequate, they're a failure. They even I've watched guys question their call because their ministry is not going like that pastor's ministry. Exactly. Is. I think one of the main sources of discouragement in a pastor I regularly see are pastors comparing themselves to each other instead of figuring out how to evaluate their own ministry in the eyes of God and themselves and evaluate the spiritual fruit that's coming from their own ministry. I want to I want us to use this episode to help guys if we can accomplish even at least pushing guys to stop comparing yourself to others because God's not doing that I'm convinced and even though a lot of other people may be comparing that doesn't mean it's helpful or wise. So let's first biblically consider what why this is something that would would not be helpful? Is there any warnings against even doing this in the? New I, Testament? I think there are. I, I think yeah. Obviously, you have in the Gospels the record of the apostles having the argument about which of them was the greatest, and with that, you got feeling that well, they had some degree of ranking. You know, somebody had to be number one, and somebody was number twelve. And you're in your mind, yeah. you, you ranked them uh, in that way. You had the Corinthians ranking. Oh, hold on, hold on. And, before you go there, like oh, what? Do you, let's remind everybody what Jesus said when. So then he pulled out a, a tablet. And gave the rankings one to twelve. Yeah, he had the his most own important. ranking. Yeah, yeah, you know, so that was a, <laughs> an important issue uh, with that. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so you, you know you have the Corinthians, uh, you know, ranking Peter and Paul and Cephas and Apollos and Barnabas, and uh, you know, and you see this happening all the time. People are ranking others. You know, who's the greatest preacher alive right now? Who's the most this? Who's the most that? Yep. Uh, you have to have the reality that each of us is going to give his own account to God. We all have to stand before the Lord. Uh, Romans fourteen uh, teaches that we're all going to stand before the bema seat of Christ. Uh, we're all going to give an account for our own lives and, and not, you know, first and foremost for the lives of others. There's an interesting text, Brian, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, where Paul says, And we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, he says, are not wise. And, in you know, to, you know, what is your standard, uh, even as you think about, uh, whether it's an inflated view of yourself, Romans 12 talks about that. Uh, every man needs to think soberly about the gift given to him. Mm. Gift given to him, not the gift given to somebody else, but the gift given to you. Think yeah. soberly, not think more highly of yourself uh, than, than you ought. And I think we can also add, obviously for some, maybe they're thinking less of themselves than they ought, but the danger too often is you compare yourself, you think you're better than this, you're better than that, or you deserve this, you deserve that, and somebody else has it and you don't. And so I think there's warnings in the Word of God as well about uh, not coveting. You know, you don't cover your neighbor's house. Don't cover your neighbor's name. Don't cover his gift. Don't cover covet his reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, be content with such things as you have. Yeah. So. That's good. And I, I would add one more text in there that those of me talk about this before have, have seen me refer to this often. And that's the, the what I think is just the call of a pastor from Second Corinthians 4 that this idea that we die a little bit every day for the sake of the flock. Mm. And in that text, though, where Paul is, is he's defending his apostolic ministry to yeah. the Corinthians, uh, I think he gives a paradigm for ministry that applies to pastors and missionaries in a sense that this is a call to die. This is a call to lay down our lives so that other people live. And in that text, he says something really profound. He, he says that you know we're, we are jars of clay, to carrying this eternal treasure. Mm. And then he gives the reason why that is. He says, so that the glory goes to Christ right. and not to ourselves. Right. And I use that as a way to say to guys, especially in regard to the implication of comparing yourself to another pastor's ministry and gifting, is the call is we're supposed to be plain and ordinary. We're jars of clay. Yeah. And the, the, the plan of God is that these jars of clay are the ones carrying the eternal treasure, so that the focus is on the eternal treasure. And I think we have just become so fixated and enamored with famous Christians, yeah. and social media has done this, among other things. Yep. I, I, I'll say this, I'm, get, I'm encouraged that I think it's starting to go the other way with the, the amount of just the well-known famous celebrity pastors that have flamed out in different ways. I think it's, kind of, I think it's been a, a gut check for a lot of guys, but yeah. nonetheless... There's still that thing in us that makes us envy someone else, crave what they have, whatever it might be. And so, I, I want to I want us to have a discussion about this. Let's yeah. first start here, Jim. What? Let's talk about what are some of the dangers of a pastor who is comparing himself to another pastor, for example. Well, I think the two main ones. It's either pride on the one hand or an excessive discouragement uh, on yeah, the other. It's good to highlight both. That's you right. Know, so yeah. uh, I make more money than you. I have a bigger church than you. I have a bigger following than you, or I don't. And so either 
I, I view that as obviously God is more pleased with, with me than he is with you. He blesses me more than he does you, which is obviously, it's, it, I mean, how else can it be seen by how many yeah. people are in our pew? Clearly, or, clearly. Or yeah. how many baptisms we had, how many, you know, we're in Sunday school, you know, so we post the numbers or, you know, whatever the thing might be. Uh, and how many new members are joining, you know, uh, what our new budget is, what our new building, you know. So if you haven't had a new building, you haven't had a great budget, you haven't had so many baptisms. Uh, and again, whether that's whether you're on the good side of that or you're on the bad side of that, I think the tendency is either to lead to an excessive pride yeah. or to an excessive discouragement. Yeah, that's good. One, one I'll throw out there is I think it, it doesn't take into account factors that determine what kind of fruit come from your ministry. If you pastor in a really dense urban area surrounded by all kinds of people, yeah. and you pastor in a rural context where it's a town of a thousand people, right? Uh, and the factory that most people were employed at closed five years ago, for you to have the expectation that you're supposed to see in your ministry what that, that guy's maybe seeing right. is it's just unrealistic, it's unfair, and it's also inaccurate. And so I, I think that uh, it's really important that when we, when we do the comparison game, we're not figuring in things like place and, and where God is. Right. God is I tell guys who, who struggle with this, God has, in his, in his providence and his sovereign will in your life, has placed you there right. for a particular reason, and it's for you to be faithful in that particular place. So uh, my, my good friend, Kyle McClellan, who wrote a book called Mia Culpa, one of our resources here, Kyle uh, has done some of the best interacting, I think, on this idea of, of place, understanding your place of ministry, kind of accepting where you are. Yeah. He's a big Wendell Berry fan. I got exposed to Wendell Berry actually from him as a friend a long time ago. And so this, this idea, though, of, of seeing and understanding the place you are, both for contextual reasons, just ministry-wise, but on the other side of it, it's... Just to appreciate, this is this is where God has placed you. It, that that's been intentional. It's in His providence that you are mm-hmm. there. Guys who compare themselves to other pastors and other ministries many times are not taking into account how much where you minister has a great deal to do with the kind of fruit mm. that you will see from that. Maybe another danger for that you're thinking of, Jim. Well, I think you can you can question perhaps your calling. Uh, because you 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 are not you know again if the if calling means that you have this many baptisms this many conversions this many people in your church and and you don't or again if you listen to somebody who maybe maybe seems to whether they say it explicitly or implicitly this is the sign of the token of God's blessing upon your life then you're going to begin to question whether you should be in ministry at all uh, based upon, not, not, on, not on biblical factors, because the Bible didn't tell you how many baptisms, how many members you should have, you know, uh, how big your building should be. It, it doesn't talk about those kinds of things. Um, and so the call is the call to faithfulness, uh, not the call to success. You trust God to bless in whatever way he's going to do. But I think it can uh, cause somebody to question uh, unnecessarily whether or not they should even be in, be in ministry. That's good. So, one, one more I'll mention is just this: I, the idea, I'll, I'll word it this way, stewardship. Mm-hmm. So uh, I find a lot of guys who are envious of other pastors' gifts and— uh, and to miss the fact that God has given each man his own set of gifts right. that he's asked you to steward. It's a stewardship. 
he he's given some more resources than others. I I think an interesting thing that you know I want to call it attention because I never resented this in your ministry, but you and I've been friends a long time, and our church all the time just struggled financially. We barely had enough right. to pay the bills most of the time. Right, and your church has, as long as I've known you, has really been blessed in right. that way financially yeah. to be able to do all kinds of things. You all have stewarded it very well, by the way. But the the two extremes on our ministries, yeah. one of them was the amount of resources you had to work with and the amount of resources I had to work with. We also live in two totally different areas of town, right. which is an easy way to explain that. But nonetheless, there are plenty of times I'm crying out to the Lord. You know, I, I'm trying to remember I'm trying to remember if I worded it this way or not. God, you know, I'll try to be as faithful as Jim if you'll just give me more resources. <laughs> yeah. You know, just so there was the temptation there, even yeah. in my own life, to to feel that. But one of the things that helped me was this. In one sense, we are we're in two different areas of town that explains part of that. The other is you were you were given that stewardship and you yeah. stewarded it well. I was given a stewardship to steward what God gave me, but that's not for me to resent or to question my calling or question right. God's blessing. Right. I appreciate you saying that. And, and uh, you know, again, I don't want to unnecessarily, you know, you know, uh, uh, focus on, on us with this, but I do want to commend you. you. You stated that very sweetly. You didn't state that with resentment. No. Sometimes right. a guy can make that statement and even say, well, he lives in that part of town or, or whatever yeah. with resentment or, well, if I I were a seminary professor, I'd probably have a big church too. Or if I had written that book, or if my daddy had been, you know, you know, had that name, well, then I'd probably, you know, that that kind of. We're talking about the dangers. I think not just frustration or anger or pride. I think that real danger of jealousy yeah. and resentment. That that I'm, I should have what that. That's really what envy says, right? Envy and jealousy. I should have it, not them. Yeah. It or should if, belong if to I me. If I had it, who, or, or if I had it, this is what I would. Right, I would do, do it so much it. better. Yeah. If yeah. I had that platform, I'd do it so yeah. much better right. than what they do. So I think that's that can be a real, real danger with this. So, so let's let's shift, Jim. To all right. So let's 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 think about ways that we can kind of, you know, avoid the comparison game, or you know, kind of see it on a positive note. What what are the things we can focus on? What are the things we can think about? What are the things we can pray about? What are the things we can be you know, seek care and mentorship about to to help us, in a sense, be satisfied and with who we are and where we are and what mm. God's doing. I, I think that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. The comparison game of other pastors reveals a a general dissatisfaction we often feel in the place we are, the way we've been gifted, and what we've been given to steward. Yeah. So, what are some things we can think about? How do we? How do we embrace what God's given us? It's part of His plan. It's who He's made us uniquely who we are to minister with in the place He's given us. How do we embrace that? Yeah, several things come to mind, Brian. I think even I mean the first thing that comes to mind is it required of a steward that he be found faithful, and and that's really all that I'm called to do. Uh, the The results of that ultimately are, are with the Lord. We we water, you know, we plant and we water. God gives the increase. It doesn't mean that we have to be necessarily in a in a and I think we can be content and and yet pleading for more. I mean, I think some of this stuff is good. Sure. But we I mean, we have to work through this. As, you know, we ha- I, we talked earlier about maybe doing a podcast on 
you know, this desire we have to be popular or to be known, you know, to want our name known, to want our church name known, and think, well, why do we want that? Is it really for the glory and honor of Christ, or is there something carnal and unsatisfied in us that we want a bigger platform, we want to, we want to be known? But I think if we say, like, you know, if, if we say, well, I wish that we had as many conversions and baptisms as so-and-so, I think we can make that a matter of prayer. If somebody has, if you think that maybe you, you wish your church were a bit more diverse in regard to uh, younger people coming or older people coming, and you wish, man, that church has a, a good variety of, uh, of, of, of people on the socioeconomic spectrum or whatever, and it really seems to honor the Lord in that. We can ask the Lord to do that, but at the same time recognizing, again, if I'm living in rural Nebraska, I'm probably not going to have a super diverse church, you know, and that kind of a thing. Yeah. People are going to probably, right. probably going to be, you know, and I have to know that. But we can pray for, you know, certainly to pray for conversions, to pray for the power of the word, to pray that people be transformed by those things in our own way, in our own setting, with our own gifts. I think is a good thing to do, but it's also recognizing that 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 my standard is not that person. My, if our standard were, you know, name the pastor, and that that's what you have to do in order to be faithful, then we'd be crushed under that. Yeah. You don't have to have a thousand members to be faithful. You don't have to have seventy baptisms a year to be faithful. Yeah, that's right. That's not the standard of faithfulness. That's good. Uh, I would uh, I would add into this. Um, one of the ways to kind of resist the temptation of the comparison game is prayerfully ask for spiritual eyes to view your ministry. Mm. I think the thing that discourages a lot of pastors is we look at the temporal or we even look at the shallow as a way to evaluate what's really happening here. Yeah. And I think if we pray for spiritual eyes, we're going to see, okay, so how many people are here and how much money we have that was given last week at the church yeah. is not probably the best gauge to figure out if God's at work here. Mm. But you know, are are people loving the Word? Are people following Jesus? Right. Are people dying to themselves? Are are people repenting of sin? Are people loving and sacrificially caring for each other? Right. Well, are are people going out in the community and trying to to reach people? I mean, those are the things that I think uh, are ways to evaluate the ministry from from. A spiritual component, mm. and I think the the goal is for us to try to view our ministries the best we can, the the way that God does ultimately. Yeah. And God is is not impressed often with the things we're impressed with. Mm. And so it's you know it's not about how many views your sermon got online. I mean that no, mm. so many people make a big deal out of that. Right. I, I just can't imagine that God rem- remotely you know is impressed. So I think to to have spiritual eyes to see how God describes, I think this is where one of these is really helpful. There's two aspects of Jesus' ministry that I think get largely overlooked that I think we need to read more often and dwell there. One of them is the Sermon on the Mount mm. and the way that Jesus describes, here, here's the people who are really blessed. Here, here's, here's who the kingdom's built on. Mm. The other are the parables that Jesus teaches about how the kingdom's built. Right. It's so often, it's subtle, it's hidden, mm. it's simple, it's it's slow. Right. And I think when we see that that's how the kingdom's built, why is that not the metric and how we're evaluating? Because we know a lot, of, there's a lot of answers to that, but we, we're just caught in yeah. this immediate, quick you know, world that we, we live in. So having spiritual eyes to, look, to truly look at our ministry and ask God to help us see Helps us, I think, be encouraged because we truly see the fruit. 
But what it also does is I think it discourages the comparison game. Yeah. Something another way for us for a pastor to embrace this. Yeah, I mean I think gratitude and this is close to what you're saying, Brian. Yeah, but just good. really focusing on gratitude for what you do have. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you need to Maybe you need a comparison with something else sometimes in, in a right sense that another pastor comes along who's like really, really discouraged and you realize, you know what, I do have good folk here. I, I do have people that love me. I do have people that pray for me. I, I had three people tell me last week, Pastor, I'm praying for you. You know what, we may only have 10, 15, 20 people here, but, yeah. uh, but, but you know, uh, but this, and I think, and, and the other, in the other hand, another way of the comparison is that with the greater platform the larger numbers often comes uh, a series of headaches and stewardship and responsibility that might at this time in your life crush you um it may ruin it may ruin your soul if god gave you the things you think you want and you think you'd use it for his glory but really it would become a throne that you sit on and it wouldn't do well for you. So the gratitude for, for what you have and where he's placed you. Yeah, and I really appreciate what you just shared there, Jim. I think it was really good. It was what I, it was what I was thinking I wanted to go with, go with next, and that goes back to the stewardship idea. Part of understanding stewardship is understanding what we've been given and we're supposed to steward by God. But to your point, God has also given us a, a certain amount to steward, just like just like the, the Jesus teaches with the right, exactly. the one who's been well, given much, exactly. is, is much as right. you know required. I think we we have to realize that God is giving us what um, what we can handle and what He needs us to have to do what He's called us to do. Right. And I'm with you. I I think what you said I really resonate with that. A lot of times we don't think about the 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 people who have seemed like they've been given a lot to steward. Um, or like that guy's been given more of me to steward and somehow God loves them more than me. I assure you, yeah. in case you don't know, there is a unique burden that comes with being asked to steward a lot. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, and that's why we, we almost need to be careful what we think we're asking for. It is a measure, I believe, of God's grace and kindness and goodness to us that he knows better what to give us to steward than, uh, than we might know about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, so Brian, yeah, really, and that's you know, in that parable of the stewardship, there's there was nothing culpable in, in being given two talents as opposed to five or ten talents. Yeah, yeah. no, you just no, had to be, you just had to be faithful yeah. with what you had. Another thing, Brian, I want to say in this, you know, is I'm I was just thinking here about um, uh, Barnabas, um, and it says of Barnabas in the book of Acts that when he went to Antioch, it said that that. It says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And when he came to the church, he saw the grace of God and was glad. It's really a fascinating statement. He saw the grace of God. Mm-hmm. How, did he, how did he see the... What did, now, you have to recognize, I'm sure that's not all that he saw. I, I, I'm sure that he saw in that But it's Barnabas. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, it is Barnabas, you know? Right, that's the way the he had, he's put guy. together in that way. Yeah. I'm sure he saw sin. I'm sure he saw dysfunction. I, I'm sure he saw... Uh, immaturity, but but he looked for grace and he found grace. Yeah, good. So again, I think we're probably talking mostly to a guy who's in a smaller setting and who's discouraged. He's comparing himself to somebody with a larger. It's probably the most. That's the most comparison. It's not like I'm sure nobody's calling you, Brian. How come I don't have a smaller church and a smaller platform like this guy over here? Well, I, uh, I, I will say this though, in all seriousness, as I look back at 25 years of pastoral ministry. Some of that was in some larger churches, but the primary time of that was in churches of less than a hundred. And yeah. and I, as I look back on it, I'm I'm so thankful 
that I didn't pastor a church of more than 100 members at any time when I was the lead pastor. And I say that because if, and I've said this on numerous occasions, if I would have pastored a church of 400 instead of the 75 that I typically pastored for, for 17 years, two things would not have been able to happen. One is I would not have been able to pastor and care for people the way I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And two, I would not have had the bandwidth and capacity to do practical shepherding, to do some of these right. other things that God was leading me to do. You've been, you would have been too good for me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't <laughs> that would never me. happen, Jimmy. That's a different <laughs> podcast. Okay, so I just, But I just want to highlight that for because you're right. The typical comparison is the, the small church pastor with no money who looks at the guy with a lot of money, big church. And I, I was that guy. I was a smaller church, no money. Yeah. And I look back on it and, and not, just, not just see the goodness of it in, in this perspective, but but I see God's kind intentionality, the wisdom yeah. in that. I, I, Jim, I, I learned how to lead a church with not a lot of money and yeah. struggling through they that did, every yeah. year. And I just want you to know, in the work I do now, there's occasionally a pastor in the same position. That's sarcasm. They're all right, over the place. Right, right, right. You know, I, you know, not a lot of people. How do I make this amount of money work? And to have all that experience to do that, it, yeah, it makes me more useful right. than I would have been if, if, if I had more money and I knew what to do with. And these guys are coming to me about that stuff. So, Brian, but, do you think there's a way for pastors? Is there a way to get this into the DNA of pastors to somehow maybe put it into the water like fluoride hmm. that we stop asking, our, asking each other immediately, so how big is your church? How many people do you preach to? You know, it just seems that that happens over and over again. Well, t- I may have told you the story of Ted Donnelly, one of our uh, oh yeah, a, a great I, preacher. I Ted, Ted, Ted Donnelly. Now, Ted, yeah. Ted, Ted's Irish. So it was really funny when he said it. He said, "I've started to say to some of them, well, how big is your wife? <laughs> well, she's huge. He'd say, you know, hey, we had to knock down a wall. She's so big now, you know, that kind of thing. You know, only an Irishman can get away yeah, with that, but, by the way. But, you know, it was it was quite funny. But yeah. he was he was just talking about this. Oh, this your wife, <laughs> you know. Uh, that you know that this you know hey, I had to knock down a wall you know we had to we had to yeah I had to move the house she's so big now you know uh, that you t- one has said long ago I think it was you know that that when come the time of judgment we will say that we had enough yeah you know however many we have come the day of judgment we have yeah. to give an account we'll say that we had enough yeah uh, and I think that recognition to maybe put a moratorium to stop looking at those things. Mm-hmm. as the token uh, of of our quote-unquote success yeah. or really what we're getting at of our faithfulness. Yeah, no, that's good. I think uh, I would answer it this way, your, your question. The, I think the, there's no shortcut. The way we, we begin to try to change the narrative is, is we have to intentionally ask five other questions first. Yeah. That may be what we want because that, that is a metric for us. Just, you know, um, and – I ask it just because it, it, at times where I, I would want to know that, but it's I, I intentionally don't let it be the first question. But I it's ask not because to compare; it's to give you an idea of, of what not. they're dealing but with. Even and just when you to... ask that question, we're asking. So, what are you dealing with? Or what are you What are you talking about? But, yeah, that's right. But right. but I, I, to answer your question, I think we change the narrative by just you know, but just at, you know, just asking more spiritually uh, fruitful type questions. Yeah to learn about a, a particular church and things. So uh, I think that's, there's no shortcut. I think that's really how we, we do that. But the second thing I think we do is just pray and ask just for a, a contentment and a satisfaction what God has provided. And by the way, I think that's how we get the most clarity about the things 
that we're unsatisfied with, that we want to see God work in this way and he's not. And, and this is what we pray for. This is what we have vision for. This is what we try to motivate our people to step into to help us grow. I think that's how we get clarity around that when we do have a certain sense of contentment and satisfaction with what we have and where we have it. So any final word on this, Jim, you want to give? No, I just really wanted to reiterate that. Uh, I'm thinking, Brian, uh, you know, that there's some way to step out outside of ourselves and to recognize yeah. how to be thankful for the good things that we have. You know, the George Bailey experience, and and it's a wonderful life. Nothing changed at the end. He just, he just saw his life from a different perspective. Yeah. The house was still drafty old house, and it still had things that didn't work in it, but it became beautiful to him when he saw it with new eyes and, and to see the precious sheep entrusted to us and the mm. and the privilege of the stewardship given to us with the eyes of of joy and contentment rather than a sourness that comes because it's not what somebody else has i think that's a great illustration my my final word on this is I, at my prayer every morning even in this moment of my life um, because with the work that i do every day is different you know with with the work that i do now and but I have the same prayer, and and it really is helpful to me. And I, I want to share it because I think it, it it would really be helpful for pastors who maybe battle this. Uh, I pray every morning as a part of my routine. God, my, I, I just make me useful today. Mm. You know, I, I just I want to be useful mm. for you. Yeah. And that may look totally different than what I think it's going to be. But yeah. and it may be really small and, and insignificant yeah. to a lot. Right. But. If just I just want to be useful to you, and if 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 I can feel useful to the Lord, Amen. then that's that's the goal. And I, I want to urge every pastor like pray pray that because yeah. what that does for me is it centers me yeah. on whatever expectation I would go into the day and what I want to see. It's like yeah. he may make me useful in a way I have no idea, and I I need to be open to what that is. So mm. Jim, will you take a minute and pray yeah. for for pastors in sure. regard to this? Father, I do want to lift up those who are especially struggling uh, in this area and may be particularly discouraged at this time in their life as they look out and and see perhaps um, someone they went to school with or someone they once labored with and seeing the seeming prosperity that has been given to them and that's been withheld uh, at this particular time. Father, we do recognize that we have a stewardship before you Lord, help us to be thankful for those entrusted to us, those that we're privileged and blessed to serve. Uh, help us, Father, not to be resentful uh, of the things that you have given to us, to see the many tokens of your goodness that surround us. Lord, we desire to be stewards found faithful, and that's our, our ultimate uh, goal, our ultimate prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name.